The Global IP Matrix Magazine Issue 9. Front Cover. The Global IP Matrix. Fingers on the pulse of IP news globally. The virtues of going virtual. Lessons learned from the 2020 AIPPI World Congress Online. New online brand protection and compliance plans. Opioid addiction, a patent perspective part 2. Delhi High Court decides 16-year-old trademark infringement suit. Patent rights in the COVID-19 pandemic-vaccine development, compulsory licenses. Exclusive, IP on the go, written by Vladimir Berjelin, partner at Gorodsky, Russia. Front cover strip advertisement. Patent seekers. The global patent searchers. International Patent and Design Search Company. Website, www.patentseekers.com. Email, mail at patentseekers.com. Telephone plus 44-016-33-816-601. Inside front cover advertisement. Gorodsky and Partners. Practicing since 1959. Patents trademarks, designs, utility models, copyrights, litigation, IP due diligence, anti-counterfeiting, mediation, licenses, searches and translations. Moscow, St. Petersburg, Kazan, Ekaterinburg, N. Novgorod, Krasnodar, Vladivostok, Samara, Novosibirsk, Permsarov, Dubna, and Kiev. Gorodsky Head Office. B. Sparsky R.S.T.R. 25 Building 3 Moscow, 129,090, Russia. Telephone, plus 7495-937-6116. Fax, plus 7495-937-6104-6123. Email, pat at gorodsky.iu. www.gorodsky.com. Page 3. Contents and the Editorial Board. Dear readers, we sincerely hope that you have all had a positive start to 2021. Here at Northern's Media Headquarters, we have been working tirelessly during the UK lockdown with our contributors to continue delivering engaging content to you. In this issue, we have frontline news from the industry professionals to keep you updated with detailed analysis reports on innovation, IP trends, new legislation, and IP strategy, amongst other topics in the IP spectrum internationally. This issue provides you with up-to-date news, views, and opinions by thought leaders and associations globally. Dear Madafawite, AIPPI Communications Manager, takes us back to their first annual virtual conference that took place last year amid the coronavirus pandemic. Their decision to make the bold move to go virtual led to great insight and reflection. Vladimir Bayelin, partner at Gorodsky in Russia talks about customs, counterfeiting and regulations in his article IP on the go in Russia. We also welcome a newcomer to the Global IP Matrix magazine, Natalie Dreyfus from Dreyfus & Partners in France. Natalie has a wealth of industry experience and knowledge that we are delighted to share with you in her first installment of new online brand protection and compliance plans. As always, we would like to thank all our contributors for giving us your time and expert know-how and in-depth industry knowledge to share with our audience. Ms. Elvin Hassan, Editor and Head of International Liaisons. The Global IP Matrix Magazine, Issue 9 Table of Contents. Page 5, The Virtues of Going Virtual. Lessons Learned from the 2020 AIPPI World Congress Online. Dear Madafawite, AIPPI Communications Manager. Page 9, Patent Rights in the COVID-19 Pandemic, Vaccine Development. 
compulsory licenses. Anami Wainagaskra, partner, and Sabira Sheriff, associate at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. Page 11, Opioid Addiction, A Patent Perspective, Part 2. Alec Griffiths, IP Manager at Patent Seekers, UK. Page 17, IP On The Go. Vladimir Berjelin, partner at Gorodovsky, Russia. Page 20, Delhi High Court decides 16-year-old trademark infringement suit. Manisha Singh, partner, and Simran Bhalla, associate at Lex Orbis, India. Page 23, Non-use and removal of trademarks in Ghana and Nigeria. Sarah Norkoranku, senior partner and head of intellectual property law and Onaniechek Wumeri Magdalene.se, head of chambers at Anku.Anku at law. Ghana. Page 26, New Online Brand Protection and Compliance Plans. Natalie Dreyfus, Founder and Managing Partner at Dreyfus, Paris, France. Page 29, UK Customs Enforcement, Post-Brexit. Lisa Lovell, Founder at Brand Enforcement, UK. Editorial Board. Gabriella Bowden, Partner at eProwint, www.eprowint.com, Costa Rica. Marek Berry Managing Partner and Patent Attorney at Berry & Berry, www.bnbip.eu, Poland. Mr. of Fame Funa Francis Newark Eddy, Principal Counsel of Stillwaters Law Firm, www.stillwaterslaw.com, Nigeria. Ms. Brenda Matanga, Managing Attorney and Head of Practice at B. Matanga IP Attorneys for Africa, www.bmatanga.com, Zimbabwe. Ms. Laura Castillo. Partner at IP Law Firm DR, www.iplawdr.com, Dominican Republic. Ms. Ruta Ullman, immediate past president of Ecto and associate partner of Metida, www.metida.lt, Latvia. Page 4. The Global IP Matrix Magazine Issue 9 Contributors. Dima Defauite, AIPPI Communications Manager. Sarah Norkoranku. Senior Partner and Head of Intellectual Property Law at Anku.Anku at Law, Ghana. Onyechek Wumeri Magdalene.se, Head of Chambers at Anku.Anku at Law, Ghana. Manisha Singh, Partner at Lex Orbis, India. Alec Griffiths, IP Manager at Patent Seekers, UK. Simran Bhalla, Associate at Lex Orbis, India. Lisa Lovell, Founder at Brand Enforcement, UK. Natalie Dreyfus, Founder and Managing Partner at Dreyfus, Paris, France. Vladimir Berjelin, Partner at Gorodovsky, Russia. Anami Wainagaskra, Partner at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. Sabira Sheriff, Associate at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. The Global IP Matrix magazine is published by Northern's Media, PR and Marketing Limited. Carlos Northern, Founder and CEO. Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited. Publisher of the Global IP Matrix Magazine and the Women's IP World Annual. Email, carlos at northernsprmarketing.com. Ms. Elvin Hassan. Editor and Head of International Liaisons for the Global IP Matrix Magazine, and the Women's IP World Annual. Email, elvin at womensipworld.com. Craig Barber. Head of Design for the Global IP Matrix Magazine and the Women's IP World Annual. Email, info at northernsprmarketing.com. Same page. Half-page advertisement. Unitail and Attorneys at Law. A leading IP law firm in China. Offices in 20 major commercial cities in China and also in the US, Japan and Germany. 
handling over 400 IP litigations each year. 236 patent attorneys, 66 trademark attorneys and 71 attorneys at law. Ranking first in the top 10 patent agencies in Beijing with the most patent applications. Ranking top on the list of agencies for many years in trademark applications. Address, Beijing, 7th floor, Sciatech Place, Number 22, Jiangaminawai Avenue, Beijing, 100004, China. Telephone, plus 86-10-5920-888. Fax plus 86-10-5920-8558. Email mail at unitalan.com. Website, www.unitalan.com. Page 5. Article. Disclaimer. Images in this article can only be seen in the print and digital versions of the Global IP Matrix magazine. The Virtues of Going Virtual. Lessons Learned from the 2020 AIPPI World Congress Online. Written by Diamud Fawait, AIPPI Communications Manager. The coronavirus pandemic seriously affected people throughout the world in many ways during 2020. While obviously not on the same scale as the serious health issues faced by many, COVID-19 has played havoc with conference scheduling. This new situation has presented its own set of challenges, both for those who organize such gatherings and those who want to attend them. In a move replicated by many other bodies, the International Association for the Protection of Intellectual Property, better known by its French-language acronym AIPPI, abandoned plans to host its 2020 World Congress in person and move online. Image of Marek Lazewski, Secretary-General of AIPPI, explaining the new online platform to members. The annual AP World Congress is comprised of four main components. The Substantive Legal Work or Harmonization Program. The Professional Development Component. The Management of the Association. Networking Opportunities. The last time an AIPPI meeting had to be cancelled as a result of world events was in the 1940s. The AIPPI Bureau was determined to avoid the first cancellation in over 70 years. This resolution was also due to the amount of toil that had already gone into AIPPI's substantive work since the last Congress. Study committees had been constituted specifically to deal with four contemporary IP topics. Dedicated members in each of the 67 AIPPI national and regional groups, energies, had invested a lot of time to set out their country's position on the study questions under review and to propose avenues of harmonization, leading to the famous AP resolutions. Marek Lazewski, Secretary-General of AIPPI, prefers to highlight the opportunity that the disruption to the planning brought. The unwelcome turn of events resulted in a very positive stimulus for trying new things, as well as different ways of doing more established processes. While it was at first thought that the study questions, as well as the legal activities connected to the management of the association, would be the only elements to go online, the AIPPI Bureau made the decision in summer 2020 to try to replicate the highlights of the yearly Congress online. Making the move online. This decision meant that the AP Bureau, supported by employees at the AIPPI General Secretariat in Switzerland, had to act quickly. The move from physical to virtual was speedily completed. Instead of the normal tasks associated with physical conferences like booking hotel rooms, AIPPI volunteers and employees found themselves busy moving its annual proceedings to a specially designed virtual platform. Chintzia Petrozolo, who leads the events team at AIPPI, was aware of the need for quick reactions. 
The pace at which the change to a virtual event was made was impressive. The AIPPI Bureau and the AIPPI General Secretariat had to think out of the box and propose something new, all the while respecting the statutory requirements that the association is bound by. As Marek Lezvsky notes, it was amazing to watch how our team in Zurich pulled together and delivered the experience just in time. We benefit from the strength of the organization built over many years. This success is also a great testimony to my predecessors and past general secretariat leaders. In the end, every component of an AIPPI World Congress familiar to regular attendees was represented in virtual form. The ambitious program totaled 83 sessions spread out over eight days in October. This translates into 101 Congress hours of IP-related content. Despite the change in normal circumstances, AIPPI members from around the globe quickly adapted and embraced the opportunities offered by shifting everything online. In a much-welcomed move, the event was also completely free for all AIPPI members to attend. Almost 90% of respondents to the post-Congress survey declared that they were very satisfied with the event being offered for free to AIPPI members. The post-Congress survey also showed that a little over one in five of the attendees were at their first ever AIPPI World Congress. The ease in connecting from anywhere in the world was a factor for many of the newbies' attendants. Released from the need to travel, AIPPI members who, for varying reasons, would not have been able to travel to Asia for the originally planned Congress, found themselves sitting in a front row seat at the Congress, albeit through their computer monitor. Anne-Marie Verschuer, reporter general of AP, is also positive about the changes that the pandemic caused to the event. In a year that was different in so many aspects, it was great to see that the Congress could still take place on the originally scheduled dates, online of course, but offering members the educational program they are used to and also the opportunity to connect virtually. Image, of the elected president at the 2020 AIPPI World Congress online, Luis Henrique Duamaral pays tribute to his colleagues in the AIPPI Bureau. AIPPI Resolutions the AIPPI resolutions are the high point of each Congress. Their adoption is the culmination of a whole year's work by many IP experts. The four IP topics under scrutiny in 2020 were 1. IP rights in data. 2. Inventorship of inventions made using artificial intelligence. 3. Descriptive use as a defense in trademark proceedings. 4. Standing to litigate and effect on remedies. The draft harmonization resolutions proposed by the energies were analyzed during the online Congress in accordance with the processes honed over the years. The draft resolutions were discussed at plenary sessions and further amended where necessary. There was one dedicated plenary session for each of the four questions. Every AIPPI member could attend these sessions and comment. However, only the official delegates of each AIPPI national or regional group are able to vote on the proposals. The Executive Committee, in the course of its second session at the Congress, adopted the resolutions. These resolutions have already been translated into several languages and shared with intellectual property offices and other interested bodies across the world. Previous AIPPI resolutions have helped to shape national law in many countries. Anne-Marie Verge-Uer is appreciative of what was achieved under the circumstances. In an exceptional year, four resolutions were adopted at the Congress thanks to the flexibility of our members who adapted to the new circumstances with impressive flexibility. One of these resolutions concerns inventorship of inventions using artificial intelligence, AI, 
and states that an invention should not be excluded from patent protection merely because an AI contributed to the invention. There is a definitive cycle that underlies the time between AIPPI World Congresses. At the October 2020 event, the 2021 study questions were released. The work to harmonize the inputs on these from AIPPI members worldwide will be completed at the 2021 World Congress. 2021 AP Study Questions Trademarks, Q277, Registrability of Trademarks Against Public Order or Morality Patents, Q276, Inventiveness and Sufficiency of Disclosure in AI Inventions Designs, Q278, Industrial Designs and the Role of Prior Art Remedies, Q279 Reasonable Awareness in Compensation for Infringement of IP Rights Professional Development Attendees could enjoy many informative sessions outside of the association's substantive work. As always, the panel sessions covered many topics of interest. This year they included areas such as artificial intelligence, global brand, and trademarks on social media. All of the speakers chosen had an in-depth knowledge of their topic. They were happy to impart their experience to the attendees. The panel sessions were well attended and often lively affairs. An exciting new feature of the online congress was the virtual roundtables. These small format sessions allowed a maximum of 15 attendees to see their colleagues and discuss current topics in an informal format. Each virtual roundtable consisted of a host and a pre-designated discussion topic. Up to six of these were run per day, allowing attendees a broad spectrum of topics to choose from. Among the areas tackled were, should a letter of consent be accepted to overcome a conflicting TM refusal? and pro bono work and community service during the pandemic. These 36 sessions proved very popular and produced some very stimulating debate. A special session was held with the heads of key IP offices and international organizations who provided insights into COVID-19 crisis management at their IP offices. They also touched on the role of IP protection in the current fight against the pandemic and the implications of new technologies. This session featured the new WIPO Director General, Darren Tang in one of his first official engagements. A second session examined IP enforcement in Chinese courts. Key features of the Chinese IP court system were explained as well as an in-depth update on important developments in practice and law. The panelists included a Chinese Supreme Court judge, a Chinese litigator, and a German litigator who shared their knowledge and experience enforcing IP rights in China. Networking the lounge area of the virtual platform proved to be one of the liveliest online rooms. Attendees often posed questions that were quickly answered in this area. AIPPI members reached out and introduced themselves to one another using a special Congress connection page. Other members availed of the networking possibilities in the sponsor areas and sessions. Two traditional Congress sessions were very well received. The Women in AIPPI session focused on the advantages of being female in a corporate and technical workplace. The invited keynote speaker was Gwen Tenberge from the Netherlands. Gwen entertained about 150 attendees, revealing anecdotes of her experiences in male-dominated work environments. As part of her speech, she shared the tricks and tips she had employed in her career. The importance of having mentors and building a support network featured heavily. Image here, screen grab of the Young AIPPI Member Forum, YAF. Secondly, the Young AIPPI Member Forum, YAF, was led by some lawyers turned actors. They focused on expanding networks in a virtual setting. 
Over the course of one, very interactive, hour, tools and tips to help young AIPPI members expand their networks were imparted. Breakout rooms were used a lot during this session, something which of itself was a virtual networking opportunity. Reflections on the experience Marek Lezvsky looks back at the event with fondness. ARPPI is such a great group of people. The enthusiasm from leaders, committee members, and regular members was felt everywhere. The combination of structure and spontaneity was very rewarding to watch. He sees clear benefits to the exercise. We are so much richer in experience and will be able to use this to make future events more efficient. It is a sentiment echoed by Anne-Marie Verschua. ARPPI's unique study question process, resulting in four resolutions, in fact, proved a very good opportunity to interact online and may inspire changes to the process in the future. Chintzia Petrazalo of the AIPPI General Secretariat believes it was a venture which worked. The 2020 AIPPI World Congress Online was an experiment. A unique opportunity for AIPPI members to connect in a different way yet retaining the key elements of the association. Despite the success of the online event, the wish to meet physically and enjoy the interactions at the AIPPI World Congress remains. As Marek Lezvsky says, it is amazing how much you can do online, but I will be happy to see everybody in person again. Despite the challenges that the pandemic presented, all of us at AIPPI were very happy to be able to organize such a successful congress at short notice. It was a success, not just because of the high number of attendees but also in terms of the high-quality scientific content we offered. The lessons learned in 2020 will undoubtedly serve us well for future events. Luis Henry Duomarl, AIPPI President. Page 8. Adverts. United Trademark and Patent Services. Intellectual Property Attorneys. Your reliable partners for intellectual property matters in Pakistan, South Asia, Arabian Gulf Middle East and Africa. Trademark, patent, design, copyright, domain name registration, litigation and enforcement law. Pakistan Office, 85 The Mall Road, Lahore, 54,000 Pakistan. Adjacent Radio Kronos slash Hang 10 Mall Plaza Building. Telephone plus 9242. 3628-558890. Fax, 9242-3628-5585. Email, unitedtrademark at unitedtm.com. Websites www.utmps.com or www.unitedip.com. Same page. Quarter page advertisement. Mark Inventor Intellectual Property Services. Your intellectual property agent in Eastern Europe and Asia. European Patent and Trademark Attorneys Trademarks, Patents, Assignment, Industrial Designs, Opinions, Oppositions, Patent Annuities, Renewal Designs, Renewal Trademarks Contact Details Mark Inventor Company Limited Intellectual Property Services Glinsk Ulitsa 14 1000 Ljubljana Slovenia Phone, plus 386 14266 503 Fax Plus 386 12510 508 phone, plus 386 15404 331 fax, plus 386 15243 118. Email, office at markinventor.c. Same page. Quarter page advertisement. Chandrakant and Joshi. Leading Indian IPR law firm. Established in 1968. Solitaire, 2, 7th floor, op. 
Infinity Mall, Link Road, Mallard West, Mumbai, 40064. Patents and Trademark Search, Patent and Trademark Watch, Registration, Post-Registration and Infringement Act for Patent, Trademarks, Design and Copyright, Translation of Patent Specification, Franchise and Joint Venture Agreements, Cyber Law, Mergers and Acquisitions. Telephone, plus 91-22-288-6858. Fax, plus 91-22-288-6859. Email, patents at cmjoshi.com or cmjoshi at cmjoshi.com. Website, www.cmjoshi.com. Contact person, Mr. Hero Chandrakant Joshi. Page 9. Article. Patent rights in the COVID-19 pandemic, vaccine development, compulsory licenses. Written by Anomi Wayne Agaskra, partner, and Sabira Sheriff, associate at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. Laws relating to intellectual property rights, IPR, in Sri Lanka are embodied in the Intellectual Property Act, IP Act, No. 36 of 2003. All IPR are territorial in nature. In the wake of COVID-19, there is an urgent need and demand for vaccines as well as medical supplies and diagnostics. Most of the supplies are protected by patents. The importance of having a valid patent is that the patented invention owner receives certain legal rights exclusively to the inventor s during its existence and the sole right to exclude others from making, using, or selling the patented invention without apposite authorization. One. Sri Lanka is a TRIPS agreement member, which protects patents, including new diagnostics, vaccines, medicines, and medical supplies. The Doha Declaration on TRIPS and Public Health II acknowledges the need to balance a patent protection system with a compulsory licensing system. While recognizing that intellectual property protection is important for the development of new medicines, it emphasizes that the TRIPS agreement should be interpreted and implemented to support the right to protect public health and, in particular, to promote global access to medicines. Striking a balance between IPR and fair distribution is the current primary concern of the global community. Its application within Sri Lanka is protected by Section 86 of the IP Act. Most importantly, the IP Act of Sri Lanka empowers the Director General of Intellectual Property, DGIP, to waive the requirement of authorization by the right holder in case of a national emergency or any other circumstances of extreme urgency or in case of public non-commercial use for the purposes such as national security, nutrition, health or for the development of other vital sections of the national economy. Three Procedure An application requesting a compulsory license may be made to the JIP by any person, body of persons, a government department, or a statutory body for and where a party has made efforts to obtain approval from the right holder on reasonable commercial terms and conditions and such efforts have not been successful within a reasonable period of time 5 the JIP may grant such a license. However, in the event such a license is granted, the exploitation of the patent shall be limited in scope and duration to the purpose as is specified in the license. Such exploitation shall be predominantly for the purpose of supply to the domestic market. Six. Each application shall be considered on its individual merits before granting a license to exploit a patent. The issuance of a license shall be non-exclusive and subject to the payment of adequate remuneration to the patent owner considering the economic value determined by the JIP and, where applicable, the need to correct anti-competitive practices. Seven. 
It is obligatory on the part of the GIP to notify in writing the decision of the grant of the compulsory license to the owner of the patent as soon as practicable. 8. The GIP is nevertheless competent, upon the request of the owner of the patent, or the beneficiary of the compulsory license after hearing the parties, to vary the decision by amending the terms subject to which license for the exploitation of the patent is issued to the extent only that the changed circumstances justify such variation. 9. The GIP is also statutorily well found to terminate the non-voluntary license upon the request of the owner of the patent, upon being satisfied that the circumstances which led to the issuance of the compulsory license have ceased to exist and are unlikely to recur or that the licensee has failed to comply with terms of such a license. 10 However, if adequate protection of the legitimate interest of the beneficiary of the license justifies the continuity of such a license, the GIP shall not terminate an already granted license. 11. The decisions of the GIP are appealable to the corresponding court of law. 12. Striking a balance. Traditionally, countries are reluctant to use compulsory licenses. Nonetheless, COVID-19 provides a strong impetus for change. Most developing countries have supported a compulsory licensing system, while some developed countries have opposed it. Arrangements where patent holders can voluntarily license their patents or on reasonable terms to address COVID-19 are vital and must be supported as they can have a broader global impact. Consider suspending slash limiting patent protection for the initial five years at least in respect of a vaccine and cure of COVID-19. Considering the global pandemic situation would result in a fair distribution to the entire world and allow the patent holder to exploit the rights during the remaining 15-year period. Finally, Suspending slash limiting patent protections to ensure fair distribution should not jeopardize future medical innovation. Page 10. Advertisement. The Global IP Matrix Magazine. Intellectual property news direct from the source. Power is gained by sharing knowledge, not hoarding it. To share your news, views, and stories, contact us today at info at gipmatrix.com or call us on plus 44-0203-813-0457 www.gipmatrix.com Page 11. Article. Article Disclaimer. Images in this article can only be seen in the print and digital versions of the Global IP Matrix magazine. Opioid Addiction, A Patent Perspective, Part 2. Author, Alec Griffiths. IP Manager at Patent Seekers, UK. Introduction. In the last issue, we took a look at the patents behind the fight to contain and treat the opioid addiction crisis in an effort to see what may be learned from them. Particular focus was given to patent filings over time and the technology landscape as a whole. In our second look at the opioid addiction crisis, we provide further in-depth analysis this time centered around the global distribution of patents and the activities surrounding some of the key assignees in the field. Last time we saw that there seemed to be little in the way of innovation being developed to combat this issue, at least from a patent perspective. It will be interesting to see how this gradual decline in patenting activity translates to individual assignees. Perhaps it will become apparent that particular companies aren't pulling their weight when it comes to attempting to solve the problems, they are accused of having such a large hand in exacerbating, or perhaps we will see that one or two companies stand out from the rest, as genuinely committed to rectifying past mistakes. Page Break Global Analysis It appears that a large proportion of the world has at least at some point made an effort to curb the increase of the opioid crisis through patentable innovation, as exemplified by Figure 1. 
This chart appears to show that the leading territories are the US, Japan, China, and Canada, which doesn't come as a surprise given the prevalence of opioid addiction slash abuse incidents in North America. Japan has strict regulations that regulate the flow of opioids and was the first Asian country to develop legislation to control opioid use. Japan reported only six deaths in relation to prescription opioid use in 2015, placing it in a curious position of having the second-highest number of filings but not facing an opioid addiction crisis. This could suggest a heavy presence in the manufacturing of opioid addiction treatments in Japan. It is important to note that this map does not show EPO or WO patents, which could total a significant amount. Image here, Figure 1, Global Distribution of Opioid Addiction Treatment-Related Patent Filings Assignee Analysis Pfizer appears to be the most significant player in the field, which could be expected given the dominance of U.S. filings in Figure 1. Even though the U.S., Japan, and Canada appear to be some of the most dominant territories behind patent filings, a significant proportion of the most prolific assignees appear to be European companies. Given the relatively low number of filings for each European territory, this could indicate a large proportion of VP and OO patents, which figure one does not account for. It is important to note that Pfizer is the leading assignee only by a small margin, with most of the top players only being ahead by a fraction. Unsurprisingly, a large proportion of the top players are currently or have been the subject of a lawsuit slash s. Pfizer, Purdue Pharma, Merck and Company, Wyeth and Glaxo Group have all been targeted. Interestingly, Grandal, and Roche, the assignees with the second and third largest portfolios, appear to have avoided this predicament. Image here, Figure 2, Number of Patent Filings by the Top 20 Assignees Pfizer and Roche show the greatest concentration in the top 20 cooperative patent classifications, CPCs, which is unsurprising given their dominance in Figure 2. Grunenthal, however, is the second most active player in the field but appears to show less concentrated activity in the most crowded CPCs, suggesting filings in alternative classifications. A similar conclusion may also be drawn from Purdue Pharma and Eurosiltik who appear to have little activity outside of a small number of the CPCs presented. Image here, Figure 3, Top 20 CPCs versus the Top 20 Assignees. A61P25-36, Drugs for Opioid Abuse, was used to create the initial dataset, thus, it is expected to be the classification present with the highest activity. However, when removed, it still retains this position. Page Break Figure 4 shows the top 20 assignees as it relates to the earliest priority year. This gives us a greater insight into the current state of play and presents a more relevant image of more recent efforts to combat the crisis. The heaviest activity occurs prior to 2009, with most of the top assignees having ceased all or most activity after this point. Roche and Grunenthal show the most consistent activity, with filings occurring in most years between 1999 and 2016. However, there has been no subsequent activity. The most recent activity appears to be from Pfizer, who, after a 12-year hiatus, have begun filing again. Purdue Pharma has also shown a potential re-emergence after periods of inactivity and generally show lower activity than other assignees. Image here, Figure 4, Top 20 Assignees versus Earliest Priority Year. Page Break. Conclusion. It does appear that the conclusions made in the previous article, declining innovation, are supported by some of the data we have analyzed in this second delve. However, 
We have highlighted that at least two of the major companies involved in the opioid addiction crisis have made recent efforts to curb the growing dilemma. Both Pfizer and Purdue Pharma have made patent filings in the most recent years, which, as well as bringing new hope, also brings an ethical dilemma. Should companies responsible for leading the public into the current crisis and making large amounts of money from the said crisis be permitted to make additional revenue from selling and or manufacturing a potential solution? There has been a considerable amount of controversy surrounding Purdue Pharma and the patenting of a potential treatment. They have long been considered one of the most instrumental participants in the development of this crisis. Purdue Pharma was found to have known about significant abuse of OxyContin in the initial years after its release. In light of this, it continued to market OxyContin as less prone to addiction and abuse in comparison to other opioids. Therefore, it could be seen as unjust to allow such a company to profit from solving the misery it had such a large hand in establishing, only furthering the complications around solutions to this current crisis. It will take the combined effort of many different industries, sectors, and health professionals to curb and undo the damage that has been inflicted, with cooperation and innovation being fundamental to finding a solution to what is undoubtedly a very complex problem. The recent patent activity does at least suggest a renewed effort to stem the tide, even if these efforts are plagued with controversy. Hopefully, more information will come to light over the next few years, suggesting a rekindled zeal to use the patent system as a key instrument in overcoming this crisis. Page 14. Advertisement. Patent Seekers, the Global IP Searchers. Specialist global search services for patent attorneys, universities, technology companies, and SMEs. Services. Patentability slash novelty search. Infringement slash FTO slash clearance. Invalidity slash patent busting. State of the art. Patent mapping slash landscapes. Patent monitoring. Patent status. Competitor analysis. Head office. Newport, UK. Telephone number. Plus 44 0163 3 816 601. Email mail at patentseekers.com. North America Office. Toronto, Canada. Telephone number plus 1 416 847 7309. Email na at patentseekers.com. Website www.patentseekers.com. Page 15. Advert. Stillwater's law firm. People, integrity, service. Nigeria, Angola, OAPI. Protecting ideas in Africa. Services. Intellectual property, media, entertainment, technology and sports, litigation. Address, second floor, 11 Awolawo Road, Ikoi, Lagos, P.O. Box 56161, Ikoi 101008, Lagos, Nigeria. Telephone, plus 234, 0, 1,454, 7,179 or, 243, 0, 140, 1464, 16. Advert. J. Varbenov and Partners. European and Bulgarian Patent and Trademark Attorneys. One of the oldest and leading IP companies in Bulgaria. Professional cost-effective services and quality advices. Area of practice. IP protection. IP enforcement. 
anti-counterfeiting, litigations, domain name registrations, IP watch, PO Box 1152, BG 100, Sofia, Bulgaria, South Park Complex, BL.1A, Second Floor, BG 1421, Sofia, Bulgaria, Telephone, plus 359-2986-5125, Fax, plus 359-2980-3247, www.jvpatents.com, Page 17. Article. IP, on the go. Written by Vladimir Berylin, partner at Gorodovsky, Russia. If one takes a bird's eye view at the Russian IP law, one may see that IP law has always been the focus of attention of the lawmaking bodies as well as the professionals. Beginning from a more or less solid compilation of the laws in 1992, they have been consistently improved over the years until they were bound in one book attached to the Civil Code as Part 4 in 2008. After that, the development of the law continued, accompanied by ideas stemming from patent office practice and judicial practice. The law developed in close connection with adherence to international agreements, in fact, Russia is a member of almost all of the agreements in the field of intellectual property. Currently, the law has all the trappings of the system, fully responding to the needs of IP owners. Sometimes changes are noticeable, sometimes less conspicuous. In some cases, the law does not change but practice forming bodies change practice so that such changes acquire importance equal to amendments in the law. Customs and Counterfeiting Customs are one of the best law enforcement bodies. More than 8 million counterfeit goods from dozens of countries were discovered by customs during nine months of 2020, with subsequent measures for willful importers. A customs register was put in place some time ago to enable customs to find counterfeit items more efficiently. Only trademarks and copyrighted works are eligible for inclusion in the register. It turned out to be a very efficient tool in protecting the market against counterfeit goods. Several documents are needed to formalize inclusion in the register. The customs register is kept according to the law on customs regulation and the customs administrative regulations. Article 306 of the law set forth that the request for inclusion in the register should include information on the goods that infringe the rights according to the rights owner. That information should be detailed enough for the customs to discover such infringing goods. Section 25 of the regulations was even more specific. It read that application submitted to the Russian customs asking for the measures to suspend clearance of goods without information on the goods having counterfeit features should not be accepted. In many cases, trademark owners had no difficulty in providing such information. Still, there were also cases where trademark owners exporting their goods to Russia wanted to include their trademarks in the register and failed to do so because they did not have the characteristics of counterfeiting their goods. That practice continued for years until the owner of the trademark Trivium appealed against the customs refusal in court. He lost in three court instances and went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court repealed the judgments of lower courts and obliged the court of the first instance to reconsider the decision. This was done in mid-2020 so that the trademark could be included in the register without information describing past infringement cases. Incidentally, the law on customs regulation was also amended in June 2020 so that Article 328 thereof does not now require submission of counterfeit features of goods. It only states that the right owner may attach samples of goods to his application confirming infringement of his rights. So, 
a stubborn desire belonging to a trademark owner who wanted to protect one's rights paved the way for many other rights owners making it much easier to enter their trademarks into the customs register. For the sake of justice, it should be said that customs continue asking for counterfeit features of goods. Their insistence can be understood. When customs clear the goods, information on counterfeit goods helps them immensely. Moreover, it is also for the benefit of the right owner, so he is well advised to provide such information whenever possible. If there is no such information, the trademark should be entered in the register all the same. Another example showing the interaction between the IP owner, the patent office, and the courts concerns well-known trademarks. The law contains Article 1508 of the Civil Code, well-known trademark, on the application of the person believing that the trademark he uses or a designation he uses as a trademark is well-known, may be recognized as well-known if that trademark or a designation has become well-known as a result of its intensive use. It follows from that provision that not only the owner of the registered trademark may file an application for a well-known trademark but, for example, a licensee or the user of an unregistered designation. The main requirement is that the designation should be intensively used and be familiar to the consumers. The procedure for recognizing a trademark as well-known is cumbersome. Many documents have to be submitted to the patent office as well an expensive public poll that should be conducted, though not obligatory, but highly recommendable. Perhaps because of those hurdles, there are slightly more than 200 registered well-known trademarks only. One of the questionable issues in the recognition procedure is that the patent office presumes that the owner of the trademark should be known to the consumer in the same way as the trademark itself. There is Article 6 bys of the Paris Convention that links the trademark with the owner using the benefits of the convention. Usually, the applications for a well-known status of a trademark are filed by their owners. In such cases, the patent office invariably requires that the trademark and its owner be equally known to the consumer. In many cases, a trademark wishing to be recognized as well-known has reproduced the name of the trademark owner or part of it, for example, Coca-Cola. It should be pointed out for the sake of justice that the Paris Convention does not require that the owner of the trademark should be familiar to the consumer in the same way as the trademark. He should only be entitled to the benefits emanating from the use of a trademark. As time went on and business arrangements became diversified, it became clear that the famous character of a trademark and that of its owner are not the same things. Many global companies have a diversified structure and may authorize other companies through licensing or otherwise, to do business in a particular field. For example, PepsiCo Incorporated, which began with a famous drink, expanded its grasp on the consumer with many other products, subsequently registering various trademarks. One of its marks is Lay's for potato chips. Those chips are extremely popular in Russia. The trademark, number 283065, was registered back in 2004. More than 10 years later, PepsiCo tried to win recognition of the trademark as well-known and provided vast information and documents to support its request. Sales and marketing of chips in Russia were made by Frito-Lay Manufacturing Limited, a licensee of the trademark owner. The Chamber of Patent Disputes, the authority for examining such applications, acknowledge that the relevant products individualized by the trademark and enjoying worldwide popularity obtained a considerably large share on the Russian market of such goods and sufficiently wide popularity among Russian consumers. That was a good start with a bad ending because the next passage reads, however none of the documents provided by the applicant, PepsiCo, 
contains any information that would point to direct participation of the applicant proper in production and marketing in any way in Russia of the goods individualized by the trademark under examination. No information would show that the goods are positioned on the market as the goods of the applicant. Following those statements, the Chamber of Patent Disputes concluded that Russian consumers of the relevant goods are not aware of the fact that those goods proceed from the applicant in whose name the well-known status was sought. The Patent Office was deeply entrenched in its specific understanding of Article 6 bias of the Paris Convention and continued rolling out similar decisions, however, other aspirants to the well-known status of trademarks felt the winds blowing from another legislative side. Late in 2018, Sun Echo Limited, Cyprus, filed a request to the Chamber of Patent Disputes seeking recognition of a trademark as well known in Class 29. The applicant set up a Russian subsidiary Mareven Food to which it issued an exclusive license for producing food products. The scope of use of the trademark is quite impressive. Suffice to say the goods under that trademark are sold by 795 distributors all over Russia, including the largest retail stores. The Chamber of Patent Disputes agreed that the applicant's documents led to the conclusion that the trademark is known to the consumer on the market. At the same time, the submitted documents did not prove that the trademark is well known because the loyalty of the consumer to the goods marked with the designation Rolton shows its positive stance to the product itself but does not confirm the fame of the person whose products are individualized by that trademark. The applicant, Mareven Food, appealed the decision of the Chamber at the IP Court. Incidentally, the exclusive licensor and not the trademark owner intervened in court proceedings that circumstantially confirmed that the owner of the trademark's knowledge might be irrelevant. The IP court supported the opinion of Mareven Food in that the consumer should not necessarily associate the trademark with its owner. It obliged the patent office to register as a well-known trademark. This time, the patent office appealed the judgment at the Presidium of IP Court. The Presidium confirmed the findings of the first instance court that the key factor in recognizing a trademark as well known as its fame in the eyes of the consumer and not the knowledge of the applicant who sought recognition. This approach is in full conformity with Article 6 bys of the Paris Convention and Article 1508 of the Russian Civil Code. This landmark judgment was handed down on December 11, 2020. It remarkably corrects the patent office practice and makes the procedure of recognition of well-known trademarks much more applicant-friendly. There are other examples. The law and practice, be it of the patent office, of the courts, or other law enforcement agencies, is an interrelated ever-developing mechanism supported by the active involvement of IP professionals. Page 19. Advert. Early bird offer. Join the third annual edition of the Women's IP World Annual 2022 by the 30th of April 2021 to qualify for a hefty 35% reduction incentive. Contact us today to reserve your profile or editorial package quoting reference, IN-IN-WIPW-2022, by email or phone. Call, plus 44-0203-813-0457, or email, info at womensipworld.com. www.womensipworld.com Celebrating the work and achievements of women working in the IP industry. Profiles, rankings, accolades, experiences, awards plus much more. Page 20. Article. Delhi High Court Decides 16-Year-Old Trademark Infringement Suit. Written by Manisha Singh, partner, and Simran Bhalla, associate at Lex Orbis, India.
The Delhi High Court decided the trademark infringement case of Roland Corporation v. Sandeep Jain and others. This case shows the steps Roland Corporation, the plaintiff, took to enforce its intellectual property rights against the defendant entity by seeking a permanent injunction. The matter was filed in court in 2007, wherein three defendants were made a party to the suit, namely, Sandeep Jain, the owner of High Tone Electronics, the company High Tone Electronics and the company Janitor Electronics. From this array of defendants, Sandeep Jain and Janitor Electronics were deleted from the suit in 2018. The plaintiff alleged infringement and passing off goods by using the Mark Boss and or High Tone Bosses with the following logos, respectively. Brief History The plaintiff was a Japanese company established in 1972. The company was in the business of manufacturing, marketing, and exporting electronic musical instruments, electronic equipment, and software and was also involved in the designing, manufacturing, and distributing of electronic musical instruments including keyboards and synthesizers, guitar products, electronic percussion kits, digital recording equipment, amplifiers, and audio processing devices. The plaintiff owned several trademarks, including Boss, Rogers, RSS, Edirol, Roland, for the products mentioned above. The Mark Boss with the logo was adopted in 1976 in Japan to create associations to a leading role and was specifically used for compact effect pedals, twin effect pedals, multi-effect pedals, acoustic processors, metronomes, tuners, rhythm machines, sound recording equipment with accessories, also known by chorus ensemble or CE. In 1993, the plaintiff established an exclusive product distribution company in India called Rivera Digitech, India. Private Limited it sold the brands Roland, Boss, and Dedarol, and the import of the plaintiff's products into India started. The Mark Boss was registered in 2004 in India in classes 9 and 15, core issues. The plaintiff alleged that the defendant companies manufactured, marketed, and exported musical instruments under the trademark Boss and High Tone Bosses. The defendants had registered the Mark Boss in India in class 9 to benefit from the goodwill of the plaintiff's popular brand. The defense stated that they began using the impugned mark in 1979. They were the first Indian manufacturers of echo, reverb amplifiers, disco lights, and sound inverters and were also exporting their goods to other countries. They claimed to have hired an artist who designed the trademark for their products. They were selling their products in Africa and the Middle East. By 1985, they applied for the trademark registration of the word boss, granted in 1991 without challenge to the said registration. Hence, they claimed acquiescence of the use of the mark by the plaintiff and stated that they were using the mark in conjunction with the term high tone, thereby denying the claims of passing off. The defendant further countered by seeking a permanent injunction to restrain the plaintiff from using the impugned trademark. In 2009, the main issues were framed which questioned the validity of the suit, the proprietorship and prior user of the trademark boss and copyright in the trade dress of high-tone bosses, whether the plaintiff had acquiesced its IP rights, whether the act of passing off had been committed, among other issues. In 2019, the court sought to decide the matter between the parties, but no settlement could be determined. Largely due to the fact that the defendant submitted to withdraw the use of the Mark Boss for a particular category of products but wished to continue using the Mark High Tone Bosses with a stylized B for a catalog of products called as the public address system by the defendant. However, the results were inconclusive, and the parties continued arguing the matter. The pronouncement of the order of the court was also delayed. Main Arguments 
The plaintiff claimed to be the first user of the mark and that the defendant's mark was identically similar to the plaintiff's mark. The plaintiff submitted that the defendant's witness could not prove that they designed the trademark. The plaintiff claimed to be the prior user of the mark and claimed that the defendant used the exact copy of the mark boss with the logo, which was registered by the plaintiff in 1976 in Australia for the same category of products. Given that the defendant had another mark, High Tone Boss, the plaintiff stated that they would not be affected if they are restrained from using the boss mark. In its reply, the defendant argued that the plaintiff could not prove that it had reputation or goodwill in India or confusion among customers. While placing reliance on various landmark judgments of this court and the Supreme Court of India, the defendant sought a counter-injunction to restrain the plaintiff from using the mark boss. They also submitted that the plaintiff knew about the existence of the defendant's mark and yet did not take legal action for passing off for decades. They claimed honest and concurrent use of the mark but also stated that the mark was generic. The verdict. First and foremost, the court held that the defendant contradicted itself by obtaining registration of the mark and by calling it generic. The defendant had filed an application for rectification of the mark due to the similarity between the two marks and yet stated no likelihood of confusion. The court noted the contradicting viewpoints of the defendant. Next, to resolve the plea of passing off, the court questioned whether the plaintiff's claim of being the first user of the mark in the world was a valid test to determine the first user. For this, the court relied on Supreme Court's judgment in Toyota Jidosha Kabushiki Kaisha vs. MS Prius Auto Industries Limited. The matter had similar facts where the plaintiff claimed to be the first worldwide user of the mark Prius, and the defendant was the first user of the mark in India. The court decided in favor of the plaintiff, but the decision was reversed on appeal by stating the following reasons. I, that the first use by the plaintiff outside India, of the mark, though widely reported and advertised, did not have much reportage in India. 2. That the territoriality doctrine, a trademark being recognized as having a separate existence in each sovereign state and hence the rights in the trademark do not extend beyond the territory of the sovereign state which has granted the rights, holds the field. 3. That prior use of the trademark in one jurisdiction would not ipso facto entitle its owner or user to claim exclusive rights to the said mark in another dominion. Four that it is necessary for the plaintiff to establish that its reputation had spilled over to the Indian market prior to commencement of the use of the mark by the defendant in India. v. That internet penetration in India in 1997 was lean, and it could not be said that prior to April 2001, the plaintiff had established its goodwill and reputation in the Indian market, which the defendants had taken advantage of, and v that the test of possibility slash likelihood of confusion would be valid at the stage of queer-timed action and not at the stage of final adjudication of the suit, particularly when the defendants had used the impugned mark for an extended period, the test would be one of actual confusion and no evidence with respect whereto was led by the plaintiff in that case. In the Toyota case, the court further held that to establish an action of passing off, three ingredients are required to be proved by the plaintiff, i.e., his goodwill misrepresentation by the defendant and damage and if the plaintiff does not establish goodwill or reputation in the particular jurisdiction, i.e., in India. No other issue really would need any further examination to determine the extent of the plaintiff's right in the action of passing off. Going by the same principle, the court, in the present issue, decided that the defendant was the first user of the mark. It held that the plaintiff failed to prove its claims of being an exclusive distributor of the mentioned goods in India. 
The court further examined the style and design of the marks used by both the parties. The plaintiff was found to own the word Mark Boss in India and not the logo of the mark depicted above. At the same time, the defendant owned the word along with the device of the Marks Boss and high tone bosses, as shown above. Based on the findings, court reiterated, a, that the defendants are the prior user of the trademark in India, b, that the defendants have not passed off their products as those originating from the plaintiff, c, that the plaintiff did not have a reputation in India at the time of adoption of the mark by the defendant, d, that the defendants, by use, had a reputation in relation to the boss trademark, e, that the use by the defendants will not amount to passing off, and, f, that the defendants are the prior user in India of the trademark. In concluding its remarks, the court held that it could not be overlooked that the defendant had adopted the style of the alphabet B in its mark similar to the plaintiff's, even though the plaintiff was not operational in India. The defendant could not submit irrefutable evidence to prove the originality of the logo, hence there was a probability of the defendant knowing of the plaintiff's mark and copying it. Yet, the court could not charge the defendant of dishonesty since the word mark was used with the prefix high tone, the defendant did not copy the plaintiff's mark entirely, and the defendant used it for different goods from that of the plaintiff. On the claim of latches and acquiescence, the court held that the plaintiff was aware of the existence of the defendant's mark when they applied for registration in India yet did not contest or challenge the validity of the same. Finally, the court held that the defendant must oblige with its previous statement wherein they offered to restrain the use of the mark boss except with the prefix high tone. They were directed not to expand their range of products using the disputed mark to avoid overlap between the plaintiffs and the defendant's business and customer base. The matter was thus dismissed in favor of the plaintiff. Conclusion The famous saying goes, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but that does not hold true when we talk about original creations protected under the intellectual property law. Instead, imitation becomes infringement and can cost a fortune to the infringer. The most common premise of an IP lawsuit is when an entity imitates or copies another's IP. Matters of IP infringement have an element of public interest, as mentioned by the court in this case. One of the objectives of IP litigation is to protect customers from confusion and deception. The decision reflects that both the brand owners were at fault somewhere, so the court chose to dismiss any possibility of confusion among the customers by passing an order fair for all. Page 22. Advert. Lexorbis. Intellectual property attorneys. Your most trusted IP partner. New Delhi, Mumbai, Bengaluru. Website, www.lexorbis.com. Email, mail at lexorbis.com. Telephone, plus 91, 11, 237, 1, 656, 5. Page 23. Article. Non-use and removal of trademarks in Ghana and Nigeria. Written by Mrs. Sarah Norkoranku. Senior Partner and Head of Intellectual Property Law and Mrs. Oninyechekwu Mary Magdalene Dotse, Head of Chambers at Anku.Anku at Law, Ghana. Introduction. Trademark law in Ghana and Nigeria provides for the protection of trademarks in a manner consistent with international obligations while promoting and encouraging trade and investment in both countries. Trademarks generally distinguish the goods and services of one enterprise from that of the other and function as a source identifier. In this regard, a mark or sign can qualify for trademark protection only if it is capable of distinguishing goods or services from other sources. In Ghana and Nigeria, 
a mark requires registration to be protected and used to remain protected. It makes no economic sense to protect trademarks by registration without imposing the obligation to use them since unused trademarks are an artificial barrier to the registration of new marks. One. Removal of trademarks in both countries may arise from non-renewal of a mark after registration or non-use of the mark after a prescribed period. Trademark removal in Ghana. In Ghana, Trademarks Act, 2004, Act 664, as amended, and Trademarks Regulation 1970, LI 667, extensively provide the procedure and grounds for removal of trademarks for non-use and non-renewal. Regulation 29-31 provides the explicit procedure to be adhered to for the renewal of registered trademarks, failure of which Regulation 31 authorizes the registrar to remove same from the trademarks register. In the case of non-use, Section 14-1 of Act 664 permits any person interested in a trademark to request the registrar to remove a trademark from the register because up to one month prior to filing for removal. The trademark had not been used by the registered owner or a licensee for any of the goods or services in respect of which it was registered for a continuous period of five years or longer. However, pursuant to the rules of natural justice, the registrar of trademarks is obligated by law to transmit a copy of the request for removal to the registered owner and notify the owner to reply within two months if he so wishes to contest the removal request. An interested owner may file a notice of intention to oppose the removal of the trademark within the required time frame. This begins a trademark opposition process. This may not always present as a counter-statement. However, the registrar cannot swim motto decide to keep an abandoned mark on the register when there is an interested applicant. The registered proprietor has failed to show any proof of use within the prescribed period. The law mandates the registrar of trademarks to refuse to remove a trademark, where it is shown that special circumstances prevented the use of the trademark and that there was no intention to abandon the trademark regarding those goods or services. The registrar receives an application for renewal accompanied by the renewal fee, together with an application for restoration to the register accompanied by a restoration fee. The registrar within two months of the advertisement in Regulation 33-2 he receives an application for renewal accompanied by the prescribed fee. The prescribed late application fee is received, he may renew the registration without removing the mark from the register. The law versus the practice in Ghana. The combined effect of sections 11 and 14 of Act 664, as amended, shows that the law is pro-removal of unused marks to ensure decongestion of the trademarks register and used by other interested businesses for economic and financial development. Although there are no known precedents in Ghana regarding the removal of trademarks for non-use, common law cases are of persuasive value and, in some cases, compelling, persuasive value to the courts in Ghana. Where a registered owner shows no interest in the unused mark, it would be absurd to keep the mark on the register. However, in practice, the Ghana Industrial Property Office, GIPO, has been slow and reluctant to remove unused marks which have remained on the register for years. Statistics gathered from 1994 to 2012 indicate that, out of 31,225 marks on the register, about 20% are inactive, which means the trademarks have either been abandoned or not renewed. 3. It may be prudent for Ghana to take a cue from jurisdictions such as the United States of America, where trademarks are automatically removed when owners are unable to prove continuous use. Trademark removal in Nigeria. In Nigeria, a trademark is governed by the Trademarks Act, 
1990, Chapter 436, The Trademarks Regulations, 1967, and Case Law. The law provides for the removal of trademarks from the trademarks register. By law, a trademark may be removed for the following reasons. Non-use for, where a trademark is registered without any bona fide intention by the applicant to use same, and there has in fact been no bona fide use of the trademark up to one month before the date of the application, or that up to one month before the date of the application, the trademark has not been used for a continuous period of five years or longer. Contravention of, or failure to observe, a condition entered on the register in relation to a trademark. Non-renewal 5, at which the expiration of one month from the advertisement of non-renewal, the fees therein mentioned have not been paid, the registrar may remove the mark from the register as of the date of the expiration of the last registration. What grounds of defense can be raised to a removal action? A registered owner may provide the following in his defense to avoid removal of the mark from the trademarks register. For removal on the ground of non-use, proof of bona fide use, at least one month prior to the application for revocation, is good defense. Use by a registered user qualifies under Nigerian law as bona fide use by the registered proprietor. For removal on the grounds of non-renewal, proof that the registrar did not issue a statutory notice on the applicant may be a defense. Also, where the registrar had stipulated some conditions to be satisfied, fulfillment of the same shall be a defense to a removal action. Where it is shown that the non-use of a trademark has been due to special circumstances in the trade and not to any intention not to use or to abandon the trademark in relation to the goods to which the application relates. What is the route of appeal from a decision of removal? An appeal against the decision of the registrar lies in the first instance to the Federal High Court and thereafter to the Court of Appeal, and finally to the Supreme Court, the law versus the practice in Nigeria. Unlike the trademarks laws of Ghana, it is not easy to decipher whether or not Nigeria is pro-removal. However, in practice, for a registered proprietor to fend off an application to remove a trademark based on non-use, he must ensure active use of the mark within the jurisdiction in relation to the goods or services for which the mark is registered. A registered proprietor cannot merely assert use, he must be able to prove it in the following ways. There must be clear evidence showing that the mark has been used in the marketplace in relation to the goods and services for which it was registered. The use needs to be of a commercial nature, not personal use or in the process of being used. It must be used in Nigeria. A claim of non-use cannot be defeated by proving that the mark has been used in a neighboring country, not even Cotonio, Nigeria's closest neighboring commercial city. The mark should have been used in more than a token fashion so that where, for example, the mark is in relation to clothes, the frequency and amount would be a significant consideration. It would be challenging to prove genuine commercial use if only two or three shirts have been sold in five years. However, where a mark is registered with a broad specification of goods and or services, the registrar can determine that the mark has been used in relation to only some of the goods in the registration but not all. This would result in the registration being preserved in respect of the goods for which there was actual genuine use. The Nigerian courts have placed a lot of emphasis on the use of a trademark and the need for the prompt removal of non-used trademarks from the register. In the case of Beecham Group PLCV General Nutrition Ltd 6, the learned judge of the Federal High Court stated that it could not be right for the registrar to ignore the evidence of continuous and extensive use placed before him by the appellant. In this regard, the courts also give priority to use over first to register. For example, 
in the case of American Cyanamid Company v. Vitality Pharmaceuticals Ltd. 7, the trial court ruled in favor of the defendant-slash-respondent, and the decision was affirmed by the Court of Appeal and Supreme Court, respectively. Honorable Justice Karibi White J.S.C., as he then was, held that where a defendant proves that he had been using his mark continuously for some period before the registration of the trademark by the proprietor, his right to use the mark may override that of the later registered proprietor. Therefore, in Nigeria, use justifies the registration and not the other way round. This is why in practice, the registrar of trademarks is more inclined towards removing trademarks, not in use. Trademark use or non-use is very important in the Nigerian jurisdiction because a trademark registration should not be used merely to block a competitor where there is no intention to use a mark in the course of business and trade, nor should prospective trademark owners be barred from using marks which are not actively being used, by leaving them on the trademarks register. The use and non-use provisions within the Nigerian Trademarks Act seek to ensure that the trademark register contains marks that are being actively and genuinely used in the course of business and trade in Nigeria. Conclusion The relevant legislative documents have made provisions for the removal of marks whose owners have failed to renew or failed to use for a period of time. If those whose duty it is to implement these laws see to it that they are adequately implemented, removal of expired trademarks and those not in use would be effective, thus a decongested trademark register and an ever-evolving and developing trademark system. Page 25. Advert. Anku Anku at Law, Legal Practitioners and Intellectual Property Consultants. Registration of Patents and Trademarks, Industrial Designs and Copyright. Recordals and Maintenance of Various IPRs. Enforcement of IPRs. Commercial contracts. Due diligence and business intelligence consultants. And investment consultants. Page 26. Article. New online brand protection and compliance plans. Written by Natalie Dreyfus, founder, and managing partner at Dreyfus, Paris, France, French and European trademark attorney and appointed expert at the Paris Court of Appeal, the WIPOR Arbitration and Mediation Center and the National Arbitration Forum, NAF. Legal and Regulatory Obligations, Professional Standards, Deontological Principles, and Internal Instructions have flourished over the past few years to strengthen compliance requirements for companies significantly. Intellectual property frauds have drastically increased in the digital era and inevitably carry with them risks of damage to the company's image and reputation and risks for consumers' safety. As standards regarding the protection of customers and personal data have been reinforced, the intersection between compliance standards and intellectual property has thus multiplied. In that sense, it is key to include intellectual property assets in a compliance plan. Contemplating Increased Compliance Requirements Over the last few years, regulatory and legal provisions have emerged to set up challenging compliance requirements for companies across very diverse fields. Financial and banking institutions are now faced with many regulations that aim to prevent conflicts of interest, ensure the primacy of the client's interest, set up vigilance and internal control of regulatory compliance, preserve market integrity, protect personal data, and fight money laundering, and the financing of terrorism. A number of recent provisions have increased compliance requirements and demand updated internal policies. First, Regulations regarding the collection of personal data have flourished over the years, from the French Data Protection Act, Loi Informatique et Liberté, of 1978 to new requirements of the 2016 European Union, 
EU, General Data Protection Regulation, GDRP. Besides that, numerous regulations have prioritized the prevention of corruption, money laundering, tax fraud, and the financing of terrorism. The current EU AMLCFT framework and, more particularly, the Fifth Anti-Money Laundering Directive, Directive, EU, 2018-843, initiate substantial improvements in that regard. In France and the United Kingdom, UK, specific measures are set up to suppress illicit content, preempted detection, and deleting such content and penalties for non-compliance. For example, France enacted a law about the liability of hosting providers and obligations to delete the illicit content when they were aware. June 21, 2004, Loi pour la confiance en l'économie numérique. The new French Loi Sapantou also sets up warnings or possible penalties of up to 1 million euros by the French anti-corruption agency. The standards laid down by the Loi Sapantou are designed for businesses that employ more than 500 people and for corporate executives of groups of companies whose parent entities are based in France, employ more than 500 people, and whose turnover is in excess of 100 million euros. Businesses are required to act decisively in order to protect consumers. In the UK, there is an equivalent, the Bribery Act of 2010, set in place one of the strictest anti-corruption regulations in the world. Non-compliance with mandatory standards brings about a range of civil, administrative, and criminal penalties. Given these increased standards, analyzing the intersection of compliance requirements together with intellectual property risks in the digital era has become increasingly relevant. 2. Coping with intellectual property frauds in the digital era. Intellectual property frauds are growing and becoming increasingly complex in the digital era which requires taking action to mitigate risks for the company business, including in terms of compliance. The potential intersection of compliance requirements with intellectual property risks is not new, given that many aspects of intellectual property are affected by compliance, either through copyrights, patents, trademarks, designs, or domain names. Right holders of such assets are indeed often exposed to various risks of counterfeiting, fraud, type of squatting, squatting, cyber-squatting, or phishing. Such attempts result in three significant consequences that may put the company business at risk, namely a risk of damage to the company's image and reputation, risk of liability for non-compliance with personal data protections regulations, or a risk of liability for attempts to consumers' safety. Subsequently, the company might be exposed to a loss of turnover, a loss of trust in the company, ransomware, stock price manipulation. Directors might also face liability, and shareholders might undertake actions against them. However, it shall be noted that intellectual property assets have become increasingly relevant to compliance strategies in the digital era. Indeed, intellectual property risks have increased, and online threats are a significant risk because they usually result in a lack of trust in a brand that has been hit by fraud. More than 20% of consumers turn away permanently from a brand when it has been the subject of cyber fraud. Renewed risks in terms of infringement include money laundering on the art market, counterfeiting spare parts, medicines, cosmetics, and trading counterfeit goods on hosting platforms with limited liability. Fraud on the internet is growing faster, more complex, and aggressive. Such risks are exacerbated by the fact that legal, tax and regulatory constraints tighten their grip on businesses. Domain names are a favorite medium for all types of attacks and thus illustrate quite well the risks faced by the companies in terms of compliance when such attacks occur. A domain name holder is exposed to cyber-squatting risks, 
including domain name registration, in fraud of a company's right. This may lead to two different situations. First, a cyber-squatted domain name may be used for fraud immediately on registration. Domain names may point to pornographic websites, fraudulent or infringing websites reproducing a third party's trademarks. Furthermore, new fraud schemes are based on the use of mail servers in combination with deep URLs, other domain names, or social media accounts. Those mail servers might be used for phishing and illegal data collection. Yet, such fraud may be impossible to detect until a user has been affected. These situations risk putting consumers' safety at risk and tarnishing the image and reputation of the company business. Another risk situation that should be contemplated is when third parties operate domain names registered by a company. The domain name holder then risks losing control over its domain name, and beyond the financial risk incurred, the company may have to face general civil and criminal liability. The main concerns are the absence of legal notices, illegal data collection, and online release of prohibited content, infringing on other trademarks or harms the company image. Besides that, domain name registration by suppliers or affiliates may also put the brand at risk. Third parties linked to the business may register domain names that reproduce said business's trademarks in violation of the company's domain name policy or as part of the negotiation of a contract. Registrants are then entitled to refuse to discontinue the domain name's operation or oppose the transfer after the termination of the business relationship with the trademark owner. Here again, the company is exposed to a risk of loss of control over the domain name. These risks are enhanced by legal provisions that increasingly put the onus on the owner of the domain name or website under attack to minimize the risks for consumers. For instance, the implementation of the above-mentioned GDPR regulation in the EU and similar regulations arguably provides a safe harbor for fraudsters while causing right holders to be held liable for non-compliance with personal data protection regulations in case of fraud. The Loisapantu also holds businesses responsible for the fraud that has affected consumers' safety. Only exposed reaction following discovery is no longer considered suitable. The trademark owner might face difficulties to claim no knowledge of the situation if the business comes into contact or has already interacted with the domain name registrant. Once the domain name is in operation, the trademark owner is liable under the requirements set out the Loisapantu for failure to take all appropriate measures to ensure consumers' safety. Furthermore, shareholders might claim a laxity in intangible asset management, which is likely to undermine the value of the domain name portfolio. As for the domain name owner, domain name registration gives rise to various obligations for the registrant, who is fully responsible for registration and use of the domain name according to the legal provisions and regulations in force in the country of registration and the country of operation. In principle, responsibility for the content published on the website lies with the website editor. However, if the latter is not identifiable, competent authorities or third parties may turn to the domain name owner, easily identified thanks to the who is, and represented by its manager. The use of intellectual property rights by third parties with no consideration is also likely to raise a tax risk. Given all the above-mentioned intellectual property risks in the digital era and their intersection with compliance requirements, it is critical to include intellectual property as part of the company's compliance strategy. 3. Including intellectual property and compliance plans. In order to cope with risks of non-compliance in terms of intellectual property, we will now outline how to envision intellectual property strategies in a compliance plan. 
Managing intellectual property risks in terms of compliance requires evaluating the risks and the setup of prevention plans. This is achieved through various vital steps. Firstly, it is essential to start with identifying the threats through relevant audits. Secondly, it is critical to map the risks, which implies that the identified risks should be ranked and categorized. Thirdly, a domain name management policy should be defined accordingly. It is necessary to tailor it to the company's specific needs and then disseminate it internally. Finally, the implementation of such a management policy calls for a proactive, virtually systematic surveillance system among domain names on the trademark. Indeed, defending the trademark is no longer sufficient, preventive actions shall be undertaken to protect consumers. For that matter, new strategies are needed that rely on anticipation, fast responses, and flexibility. Watch services should be set in place in order to track down infringements. Defense strategies shall be adapted to each situation. Regarding domain names, the goal is to secure the situation by obtaining the deactivation of the domain name. Alternative dispute resolution procedures are the ultimate measure in case securing measures fail. Other actions may be considered depending on the context, such as judicial request to obtain the disclosure of the registrant's name. If you have any questions concerning your online intellectual property strategies, please do not hesitate to contact us. We have forged unique expertise in the field, based on our long-standing WIPO experience and our monitoring services through in-house developed algorithms. We strive to offer practical, actionable solutions that will neither put our clients at risk nor engage their responsibility with abusive actions. Page 28. Advert. Dreyfus. Intellectual property in an innovative world. Founded in 2004, Dreyfus is a boutique law RM focusing on intellectual property and digital law. We have forged a unique market position based on both our thorough knowledge of IP legal issues and our proven expertise in the digital economy and innovative technology sectors. Aware of the necessity to incorporate the economic, social, and environmental concerns of our society, we've adopted a CSR approach that reflects the company's values and which we promote internally. The digital age raises many challenges and opportunities. Dreyfus advises and supports you. In order to meet your national and international needs, Dreyfus has created a practice that combines intellectual property law and new technology law. By combining our knowledge of the digital world and the new technology sector, we provide companies with a dual approach to protect and enhance traditional and digital intellectual assets. Trademarks, designs, and patents, contracts, litigation, compliance, new technologies, and monitoring. Contact us at 74 Avenue, Raymond Ponnecaire, 75116, Paris, France. Telephone, plus 331, 44, 70, 07, 04. Page 29. Article. UK Customs Enforcement, Post-Brexit. Written by Lisa Lovell, founder at Brand Enforcement, UK. From the 1st of January 2021, a new system for customs enforcement came into play for protection against infringements of intellectual property rights on imports and exports in and out of the UK. In order to access the new application for action, AFA, form, the applicant must have a UK government gateway ID and password. The applicant, right holder or UK representative, will also need an economic operator's registration and identification, EORI, number. Application for Action, AFA. The new Application for Action form covers various combinations of the UK. 
Great Britain only, or Northern Ireland only, or Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Evidence of the following will then need to be supplied. Proof of the particular IPR to be protected, trademarks, designs, patents, copyright, and authorization to act on behalf of the rights owner, if UK representative, and product identification guidance to help identify genuine or counterfeit goods such as markings, barcodes, and images, and risk assessment information to set out authorized distributors and routes, etc. The application must state whether any of the attached files will be marked for restricted handling. Written notification will be given within 30 working days from receipt of an application to confirm receipt of the application. However, our experience is that you will more likely receive contact by email within a few days. The offer will be valid for one year from the decision the application was granted. Liability for costs. There is no fee to file the offer, however, brands will be liable for any costs incurred from the moment Border Force detains the suspected goods, including administration, handling, transportation, storage, destruction of goods. Brands will also be liable for legal costs and compensation for any loss suffered by the owner of the goods if the brand or a court confirms the goods do not infringe your rights, or the action is discontinued because of an error on the part of the brand. The new UK process. The new system is largely similar to the existing EU process and that if suspect goods are detected at the border, both the importer and the UK representative will be notified by border force within one working day and given the opportunity to inspect the goods and given 10 working days to respond for perishable goods only three working days the uk representative must confirm whether the goods are genuine or counterfeit and if so whether they agree or object to the destruction of the goods ex officio offers where there is no offer in place and suspect goods are detected at the border both the importer and the UK representative will be notified by border force within one working day and given the opportunity to inspect the goods and given four working days to respond. Ex officio offers are not applicable to perishable goods. The goods will be released if there are no clear slash valid details UK representative on file or a response is not received within four working days. An ex officio offer will usually cover that particular consignment of goods. However, there is an option to make an ex officio application last for one year when submitting the offer, destruction of goods. If the goods have been confirmed as infringing, they will be destroyed when an agreement from both UK representative and the importer or owner of the goods, or an agreement from a UK representative for the brand owner but the importer or owner fails to respond within the relevant notification period, or an objection by the importer or owner to the goods being destroyed. Legal action. The goods will be released by the end of the notice period unless the following evidence has been provided. A court-issued claim form, England and Wales, or a writ, Northern Ireland, or a signed summons, Scotland, and proof the proceedings cover the goods in question. Grey market goods. Where a brand owner has information that infringing goods or copies are expected to arrive in the UK, at a specified time and place, they can provide border force with notice in writing of these suspect prohibited goods. 
Any goods that are classed as prohibited are likely to be protected and may be seized under UK customs law. To be treated as prohibited, the goods must arrive from outside the European economic area, or if the goods arrive from within the area, they must not have been entered for free circulation. The small consignments procedure. For goods arriving by post or express courier, these are known as small consignments and for this, there is a different process, which brands can decide to opt into, or not, on the offer. If opted in, border force are enabled to destroy the goods without consulting the brand owner first, if border force suspects the goods of being counterfeit or pirated, and the consignment contains three or fewer items, or the consignment weighs less than two kilograms. The small consignments procedure does not apply to perishable goods. For more information or help with UK Government Gateway ID, EORI numbers, or for applications or UK representation, contact inquiries at brandenforcement.co.uk. Inside Back Cover Advertisement. Page 31. Patworld is an innovative and cost-effective patent search tool developed by specialists to meet the needs of industry. The core of Patworld centers around an intuitive search form providing you with all the tools required to extract and analyze the results you need from over 115 million indexed patent documents covering multiple territories and languages. We have drawn on over 100 years of combined patent searching experience to develop tools. Simple to use. Customize view. Save search history. Share folders. Language translation tool. Flexible payment options. Email for further info. Your access to the world of patents. Search 115 plus million patent documents. Head Office UK. Email sales at patworld.com. North America Office. Email salesna at patworld.com. www.patworld.com. Outside back cover advertisement. Page 32. IP Share. Patent Collaboration Tool. Collaborate effectively and securely with your colleagues or clients wherever they are in the world. Online application for project based collaboration, tailored to the IP industry and developed by experts in the field. IP Share puts the power in your hands, making it easy for project teams to share innovation insight and collaborate across a business unit locally or globally. An ideal way for IP lawyers to communicate with their end clients securely. Developed by one of the world's leading innovators in IP software solutions, Mindsoft. Go to www.mindsoft.com to get started. Thank you for listening to Issue 9 of the Global IP Matrix magazine. We hope you enjoyed this experience. Go to www.gipmatrix.com to download and read the digital version of this publication. If you would like to be part of the Global IP Matrix magazine, then please contact us today to discuss your goals and our editorial and branding opportunities on plus 44-0-203-813-0457 or email us at info at gipmatrix.com. We look forward to working with you.